Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Hall, motivational speaker, full-time psychology student, mama four, and military spouse. On this podcast, I share helpful life tips and real stories from inspirational women. Warning, sometimes we chat about taboo topics and drop some F-bombs. Thank you for tuning in with me today. Enjoy the episode. Hey guys, today I'm here with Candice. Candice is a creative print marketing expert, cat mom twice over, same here. They're so cute. I love kitties. Uh, painting teacher and <laughs> art artist in Norfolk, Virginia, where I used to live. She is extremely passionate about helping local businesses build their brands via creatively communicating their with their audience. She uses an empathic, uh, em- empathic, yes, empathetic, empathetic, words are not my friends, uh, approach to building relationships <laughs> that solving serious problems begins with not taking yourself so seriously. And I agree a hundred percent. Candace, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. No, thank you. It's, it's a real honor. I'm so excited. I would love to have you take us back to a traumatic event that happened to you six years ago. Tell us what happened. Um, yeah, so I was, so I'm 25 now, I was 19, and it was kind of like uh, my first year, my second year off on my own as as an adult, kind of living out of my, my parents' house, and um, there was so much fun, and it was, it was a lot of fun, but I was making like poor choices here and there. I ended up... Um, going on, not that this was a bad choice, um, to go on a date with this person, but I definitely didn't know him at all. (laughs) And that's safe to say it was, it was kind of a date rape scenario. Um, what had happened was he, um, he drank quite a bit and then, um, on my way driving him home back to his house, I was, I was 19 at the time. Um, so he must've been 21, but without a car he um, became very irate, became kind of incoherent and angry. And um, once I pulled into the driveway, he took the keys out of my ignition and threw them into the yard. So I'm like, okay, (laughs) here we go. Um, You know, I tried to my first instinct is to just um, subdue or like reduce the tension or, or, you know, police are trained in this and, and um, kind of, uh, I, get, I forget what they call it, but basically um, de-escalating the situation. I tried to de-escalate as much as I possibly could. Um, and I ended up being sexually assaulted by the end of the night. One thing led to another. Um, and in my car, he, um, ended up taking advantage of me. And, um, you know, at that, during, during, I I kind of shut off. I I guess like my, my consciousness kind of shut down. Definitely disassociated for sure. And, I, I was in survival mode. I, I kind of definitely was almost looking at myself from like another perspective, a third person perspective. Like I was doing some survival mode 
style thinking of like, okay, how can I, how am I going to survive this? And um, I ended up just facing all of these fears of um, if I fight back, is he going to kill me? Mm-hmm. If I fight back, is he going to disfigure me? If I do anything, like, is he going to find me afterwards? Um, I threw those all out the window. I ended up kind of snapping and, and just punching him, like, like in the nose, right in the nose. <laughs> and um, he was so shocked by it. Um, and I guess... I mean, he was, he was young too. He's a 21 year old kid. I, you know, I don't, I don't know what he was thinking, but we ended up, I, I found my keys. He, he found them and I, I went home. Um, it was, you know, a traumatic incident where, um, I completely felt super violated. Obviously I, who wouldn't like, I was, kind of a shell of a person at that point. Um, and I shut down. Um, and I shut down so much to where, like, talking with my mom, she totally, like, just was so lost. Like, she she was like, I don't understand what's wrong with you. And I couldn't tell her quite yet. She just was very, like, I mean, I was irritable and dismissive and isolating and like, I just couldn't express myself for like weeks at a time. Um, I think it was like a total of three weeks where I just went into this shell. And once it got to this boiling level, once it got to this point of, you know, we're screaming back and forth in the house and she doesn't understand me and she doesn't get me and I don't understand why I'm being like accosted all this time. You know, it was just a huge argument over something that I don't even remember. And I said, okay, I'm going to explain to you why I've I've been and why I feel this way. And I sat her down. I actually kind of collected myself. I tried to be as adult as possible about it. And I explained to her what happened. Um, and I, I, I believe this happens often. I, I've done a lot of research into it. This happens all of the time where parents, when they react poorly to this type of news, it's because they don't want to believe it. Yeah. So they just immediately don't believe it or you know basically what she had said to me her first reaction was you are a liar (gasps) yeah (laughs) which like come on you know like who lies about this stuff you know it's in the news all of the all the time like yeah it's really crazy to but only one percent one percent of the people that come forward and mind you not even 50% of people come forward. So 30% of people come forward about rape and 1% of them is lying. So we're talking about a very small, small percentage of people. Very, and it ruins, it discredits like the whole group of people who finally gain enough courage to really express themselves and to, to do 
what's right and what's just, you know, for in, in the sake of justice, like it just discredits all of those people. It's, it's awful. And, and, um, I, I am so like just upset with whenever I see news articles, uh, you know, in that vein, but long story short, you know, in particular, in, in particular, in my particular story, um, she definitely didn't want to believe it. No parent does. You know, it's like, oh, my child, no, it couldn't be. Um, after some explanation, further discussion, um, I mean, discussion is putting it lightly because I don't think in the, in that emotional time I took it lightly to being called a liar. But <laughs> um, she then switched to um, this incredibly, incredibly hurtful sentence that I will never forget, which, um, you know, in which she said, well, you know, that's what you get for yeah. going out and meeting new people that you don't know. And, um, you know, kind of like a, it's all your fault. How like else are you that, supposed to meet people if you don't go out and meet new people? Uh, like, are you supposed to stick was, stuck in the house and do nothing? Oh my God. Unbelievable. Like it was such a crushing moment, you know, to just, to feel like, you know, this, this person that I am, who's so open and so willing to share, um, my personal story and my, my thoughts and opinions and my and joy and bring joy to others so openly, you know, my, my thought process, my, my ethos for my entire life has been a stranger is just a, per a friend I haven't met yet. Yeah. And, you know, for that to just be crushed into this, like, you know, four word sentence, that's what you get. Like, it's just, it was soul crushing. And, and that was, I, I left the house, um, you know, another, another, um, point that she had had was, well, why didn't you report it? And, and that's very common. Um, what I've realized in, in rape victims and sexual assault victims, they don't report it because they're either afraid or embarrassed. Um, there's a lot of victim blaming that's going on with the victim themselves. Um, you know, and I had already grown up with such a, you know, negative self-image that I I already was like, oh, this is all my fault, you know. Um, so I didn't report it for about three weeks. I left my house immediately once once my mother had said those words. Like, I think I just shut down. I didn't say anything else. I kind of just left the house and um, went to the police station. I was like, I'm going to report this. Not because I want him to get um, – I want to press charges, but because I want him – I want him on paper. I want something on paper. I want something documented. I want him to seek help. Yeah. He definitely. Hopefully he won't do it to mentally. Else. Absolutely. Um, but I, I never really got any closure as far as any repercussions that he faced. I kind of reported it um, and, and washed my hands of it. Um, an interesting <laughs> turn to this story like it's not worse enough it's not bad enough um once I sat down with 
the police officer who took the police report, she um, felt that due to my emotionality, due to my sense of like hopelessness, helplessness, um, she ended up bringing me to the town hospital uh, mental illness ward um, because it's what's called the Baker Act. The Baker Act is where you feel like somebody who is, um, somebody is in danger of hurting themselves or others. Yeah. So um, she thought me to be suicidal. I mean, I was, I was in a very, very low place and she ended up bringing me into um, the mental ward of, of our local hospital and I spent three days there. And I could write a book on those three days. I mean, I bet it was, it was amazing. It was like such a, an eye-opening experience. It was emotional. It was like, it was, it was just so, so crazy. I mean, girl interrupted for sure. Like I was like very observant of everything that was happening. Um, but I knew I wanted to get out and I wanted to prove myself to be fine and, and sane and just and, um, you know, self-aware. So I, I did, uh, the, the minimum three days and, um, I met with a mental health professional that worked within this facility and, um, she said, you know, we had a discussion. She said, all right, you're fine. You get, you're free to go. But, um, you know, it definitely felt awful. It felt like I was being punished for being raped, um, which was something that I definitely had to do a lot of work on. Um, And I had to take all of that experience and take it for what it was worth and really... um, make the most out of it. Um, So I I, I definitely learned a lot within that experience. I, I learned a lot about myself, about what I can withstand and what I can overcome. Um, And, you know, just comparing who I am today with who I was at that current moment and, and comparing those two selves. Um, you know, there's a lot of progress there and there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of strength in between those two checkpoints. So, yeah, no, it sounds like it. And I can relate to a parent not believing you when you say you were raped. So I was 15 and my dad had read my diary and in my diary, I talked about my rape. Um, and he kicked me out of his house and uh, didn't believe a freaking word I said. Um, I ended up going and staying with my grandparents. And I, like you, didn't, I mean, you ended up turning in your, you know, your rapist, but I ended up not doing that because I was scared and 15 and my parent didn't believe me. And so why would I do it? And I think that a lot of people, you're so brave for going forward and, you know, saying like, hey, this is what happened to me. Um, because a lot of times people don't and we never will 
because we're scared that, you know, we won't be believed or, you know, that it, um, that the, we remember it wrong. I know for me, for years, I couldn't even deal with it because I thought I remembered it wrong. Like maybe I didn't remember it right. Maybe it really didn't happen the way I thought it did. And it took, took my therapist about a year ago saying, you were raved. <laughs> like, how do you not see this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that definitely happened. <laughs> she's like, it, she's like, <laughs> like you admit it to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> that definitely happened with me. I was like, no, there was definitely, surely there was something that happened where it was agreed upon. It's like, no, there was no. And, and, you know, I was, it's very common to make excuses for your abuser. You know, a lot of victims will do that. Um, you know, they'll, they'll say, because it's, it's unbelievable for, for a person to, to come to terms with that as well. It's a lot of like, I can't believe this. So I, there's no way that I'm going to believe it. I'm going to make something up that makes more sense than me being in this scenario. Um, so I made up a lot of stories of, you know, I, definitely brought that on like there's some I should be there wrong place wrong time um I should have been at home reading a book or you know just like reading the bible whatever <laughs> you know just like something that um you know like I I put myself in that circle or um yeah and but there, there's no amount of um, justification that can cover um, that type of situation. It's just not. No, definitely not. And when you applied, you said that you had a couple mental health diagnoses. Did you go and seek out a therapist after you left the, the hospital? I did. Um, I saw a couple therapists within the next like two or three years. Um, and it, it was a lot of um, just trying to figure out what type of therapy was going to work for me. Um, it was, there was a lot of cognitive behavior, behavioral therapists. Um, and, you know, there was a lot of the same kind of therapy that I had gone through before. Um, you know, and, and it kind of um, it pulled back to when I was younger. Um, <laughs> it's funny. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go forward and then I'll go backward. Um, a, a couple years ago, two years ago, I was diagnosed with um, post-traumatic stress disorder, depression, and, and anxiety disorder, acute anxiety, and. Um, it was so funny. I was texting my mom, like, hey, how are you doing? She goes, good. What's up with you? And I said, I just got diagnosed with PTSD, depression, and anxiety. Um, what's up with you? Like, <laughs> you know, like it was so, like, silly and, and common. But um, she goes, oh, yeah, I mean, well, you were diagnosed when you were 13. I was, I, my whole, I mean, I think I was eating a burrito at the time. I like took it out of my mouth. I like dropped the food in my mouth. I was like, what? <laughs> and, um, but no, it was true. I, I was diagnosed with all, uh, with depression when I was 13. So it's definitely something that, um, like I, I struggled with. So when I was seeking out therapy after that event, um, I was remembering all the therapy that I was going to when I was 13. I, and, you know, I don't understand 
why I didn't understand I was going to therapy. Um, you know, I figured, I think I was just very young and I was like, oh, well, this is a thing that I'm going to do. I have to go to. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, behind closed doors, you know, there was definitely like a diagnosis, like my mom sitting down with a therapist and have you know having them tell her yes your daughter has these symptoms and we would like to see her for a number of weeks and so and and i'm just kind of kicking my feet um you know my feet aren't touching the floor in the in this waiting room and just kind of like reading through magazines saying oh i wonder when we're gonna go get dinner after this like i had no concept of of my diagnosis which was for the better i think at that age because you can identify with that and um that would just be, you know, if I, if I did start to absorb that as my identity at that young age, that formative age, that would have been, that would have been bad. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. And I have a teenage daughter who was in therapy for a while and we never talk so much about her diagnosis because I don't want her to, to own it and wear it like a, a, like, like she has something that's wrong, quote unquote, wrong with her. Um, so she won't, you know, she just had some stuff she had to work on and, um, but she was 15 at the time. So she was well aware of where she was going and she didn't want to go at first, but it was definitely necessary. It was, you know, something that she needed to, to do and work on certain things for herself, which, you know, I'm not going to go into cause that's, that's her personal business. Um, yeah. but yeah, I can understand like, she she didn't even want to be there and she she we'd get there and she'd be like when is this going to be over (laughs) (laughs) yeah when can i get back to like instagram (laughs) when can i get back to my phone and i'm like uh you have to be here for an hour what an hour every other week she was not happy but you know i i think that at that age yeah you really don't want to be um you want to be aware of what's going on, but you also don't want kids to like, feel like this is, uh, you know, an end, like this is the end game for them. Like I'm depressed. I will always be depressed. I'll never not be depressed. And you right. know what I mean? So. And you definitely fall into that when you're, when you are depressed, you're like, this is the only feeling that I'm going to ever oh, have. Yes. This is how I feel. I felt forever. This is how it's always going to be this, um, which, you know, for me to like seek out therapy while I was in that kind of depth, like I am super proud of myself for, I I have no idea like how, I mean, it was through a lot of support. Um, one of my best friends who I made, um, here moving to Norfolk, I was just moving to Norfolk and, um, we met through mutual friends and she's just such a sweetheart. Um, she's an art therapist, so she's she's got her um, master's degree. And yeah, and she's like the most amazing person. And so to have that kind of cheerleader um, as like one of my closest friends to say, hey, it's okay, like maybe you can go to this center and they can work out getting you some therapy. And, you know, it was like, fine, I'll do it. <laughs> but like at the time, you know, I really like, it's like, I have to do something. I really do have to do something. Um, so, you know, that was around two years ago. Um, and I, I found the right uh, cocktail of <laughs> medication. I mean, I, I do take an antidepressant, which has 
helped tremendously. Um, and I, I take an as needed type of anxiety medication, but um, it's, it's helped me so much. It's helped my quality of life so, so drastically to where I can go to work. I don't have to go to my car and cry for five minutes and, right. and then come back. And then, you know, it, I can get out of bed. I mean, I can take a shower. Like it's, it's really um, like life changing. So, and, and I found co um, aligned with that, a, a proper therapist who um, focuses on the type of therapy that I sought out um dbt dialectal behavioral therapy mm -hmm. which um i did a, i've done a lot of research into um and and determined that might be the best type of therapy for me which it is um and you know it's been life-changing right i think that a one so, thing i want somebody to take away from what you just said is that's what works best for you because i think a lot of times like people go to therapy and it, that therapist or that type of therapy doesn't work with for them, so they just wash their hands of it, and they're like, "No, this is not my thing." When really, if you have right. to, that you have to work through, you just might not have found the right therapist or the right kind of therapy that will help you. There are so many different modalities when it comes to therapy, and there are so many different therapists that I think it's it's really sad when people are just like, "Nope, I'm done." Because I mean, I I've had I'm on my third therapist now. Um, when I, I, I tried to right. suicide in, they're like third husbands, you're like, yeah. oh, <laughs> this third person that I've shared all of my intimate and personal details. Right. <laughs> I, I tried to commit suicide in 2013. And so, um, that's when my husband was like, you really need to go and seek out a mental health professional. And I was like, no. And he was like, yes. <laughs> you do. I promise you, you do. And so he was right. And, um, we just recently moved here to Connecticut and I started with a brand new one, which is just like, uh, the first session with her was just like an overview. Like anybody who's been therapy, it's like, what are your symptoms? What are those? Blah, 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 blah. And so I was like, I don't know if I like her, but then the <laughs> second, the second session, I was like, Oh, I actually think I might like her. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, this is number three. Uh, and yeah. I think people need to know is like, it's okay. It's okay. If you have to change therapist for whatever reason, or, you know, find a new one. Cause it's not working out. Mine worked out just fine. It's just whatever circumstances I just couldn't continue on with them. Um, but yes, yeah. I wanted people to definitely take, take that away. Um, because yeah. Yeah. And being through all of that, like you, I mean, multiple therapists after therapists, after therapists you, you learn all the terms, you, you know, you go, well, I'm in a, I'm not self-actualized anymore. I'm kind of in a, a Maslow's uh, section of health and, and wellness and uh, I'm trying to take care of myself. So you start speaking those terms and it's always really funny. Like I, I, I feel like such a veteran when I go into therapy now, you know, but it's, it makes for such a great conversation. You know, the more you get to learn, about your psyche, about, um, you know, your, um, tendencies to fall off, you know, where you, you, what your triggers are, um, you know, the better it is for your therapist to, to learn that about you and to develop that because, you know, the key is self-awareness. You just really, um, you know, want to pay attention to like what makes you fall off the wagon and um, for a lot of 
for a lot of reasons, um, you know, I've, I've definitely like either, uh, <laughs> fight or flight <laughs> or freeze. Yeah, no, I, but... freeze. I freeze. <laughs> you freeze. Yep. I freeze. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, part of, I think what makes everybody a stronger person is that fight, um, or, or the, or the, the flight. I mean, sometimes you have to wash your hands of things and walk away, but that, that fight that like rearing into it, um, really, you know, helped me to understand myself a lot better and, um, helped me, it, it allowed me to become better at, um, a sense of, of loving kindness to myself. Um, cause I had just berated myself for a decade, mm-hmm. um, you know, terrible negative self-worth and, um, you know, just really considering myself as an outcast and, and never going to be at the level that I thought I should be at. Um, but you know, I've, I've come leap, leaps and bounds, you know, above where I was, and because um, I, I was just honest with myself and honest in that, hey, I can't do this all by myself. I need, I need to bring someone in here to, to figure out what's going on. Right. So besides therapy, um, everybody has those things that help them. And I, I tell people, like, it's a delicate balance for me between my meds. So I'm bipolar type 2. Um, which is a recent diagnosis. I was diagnosed in February with it. So I was like, you're talking about a perfect cocktail medication. I'm like, yeah, I'm working on that right now. <laughs> um, but, you know, besides the meds and the therapy, I have different things that help me be able to be my best self. What are some things that have helped you choose joy in these traumatic, during these, after these traumatic events, I shouldn't say during, cause during you're like, I'm disassociating. I'm not here. I'm yeah. But after the traumatic events, like how, besides therapy, how we're in and the medication, how are you able to heal and what helps you continue to be your best self? Yeah. Um, so I, I really have delved into my community. Um, I'm, I'm a member of, of a few different boards, um, and, and just helping to kind of make decisions, um, in, in certain capacities in my community and in the arts community. I'm an artist. I have always loved and enjoyed being involved in, in different communities that focus on art. And, um, I've, I've always loved being creative in that outlet. So that's a huge, huge part of it. Um, and, and a form of art that I've recently taken up actually is improv. And, um, that's just been so, so great. And it's, it's so fun. And for, for who I am and all of the reasons that I am the way that I am and all the people that I've met and all the, um, you know, different scenarios that I've been through, um, improv is just like the the best kind of thing for me. Um, the first rule of improv is make your partner look good, um, which can carry into your, your personal and your professional life. You know, you, um, you know, professional development, we always talk about, um, personal development, professional development. Um, and it's very you centered. Um, but make your partner look good is very them centered. You know, it's, it's 
wanting to do good for others for the sake of doing good for others and, and how can I help you in a way that benefits you and, and isn't about me at all. Um, that's kind of where I gain this sense of purpose, this sense of, okay, I am here to make other people feel good and it's not, um, it, there's no selfish gain to it. Um, it's, it's just a matter of, Hey, where's the fun? Let's find the fun. Let's make people feel comfortable and let's help other people in a way that, um, you know, convinces and, and proves, not convinces, but proves to other people that, um, we all still care about each other. Right. A lot of, a lot of depression is nobody cares about me at all. Mm -hmm. And, um, kind of just being that person that I wish I had. Um, that just kind of, that does it for me. <laughs> right. That gets me off. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just, it's, it's true. It's, um, I had to be my own mother. You know, myself is really hard sometimes. Uh, but, um, yeah, just being, being that person that I wish I had been for other people, especially super. Yeah. And that's going to be really fulfilling for you to have that community and everything. But I'm, I'm curious, did in the last six years, did what you, what you went through, did that affect your relationships with other people? And oh, 100%. Okay. How did it, how did it affect your relationships? <laughs> 100%. I mean, there was always, there's always a wall. There's always a wall there of like, okay, this person's going to end up hurting me. Um, and I think with every like failed relationship, like it gets worse, you know, like, you know, like, sorry, it's only going to end poorly. I can see uh, at the end of the tunnel, there's a wall, you know, there's no light at the end of the tunnel. There's just like, you know, and it's a self-fulfilling prophecy mm -hmm. is what it is. Um, and it's unfortunate. It happened to me time and time again. Um, I, I was with someone who I definitely knew I was going to marry like for sure, 100%. And, um, you know, and he felt the same. He, um, he told me like later in our relationship, like after our first date, I called my best friend from back home and I told him that I met the woman I was going to marry and I just cried my eyes out. But it was a, it was a thing that, you know, I was like, this is too good. It has to be untrue. And one thing led to another month after month passed. And it was just this self-fulfilling prophecy of, um, I'm not good enough for this person. There's no possible way that this person is going to, um, want to stay with me. Like, you know, I, I definitely, um, had this like negative self view of myself. And um, what I've realized is that your view of yourself is, is a reflection. It reflects onto what other people view of you. And, um, and it's really, really hard. It's really hard to work on yourself first. Um, you know, we're all so busy and we're all just trying to hold it all together, but um, to bolster up that self-confidence um, when, when you've spent decades without it, mm -hmm. um, it's, it's really hard. And, um, yeah, I mean, 
you can do anything in the world with confidence. I, I think so, you know, that it definitely affected a lot of my relationships and, and it, it made me feel just bound for failure, destined for failure. Um, but you know, you learn to move on, you learn to, um, care for yourself and, and get and show yourself the kindness and loveness and compassion that, that you want from other people, you know, and it, it means more when it's coming from you. It means so much more to say to yourself, Hey, like that was, that was a mistake. That was all that was. That doesn't mean that you're a mistake. You right. are all of these things. You are an artist. You're a musician. You are a writer. You're a, like, you're an actress. You're an improv, improv, improver, you know. Improviser. <laughs> Improviser. There we go. <laughs> I don't know what's going on with my tongue. Oh, so, you know, just kind of being your own cheerleader, being your own best friend, like, it it means so much and it's it's so impactful yeah and i'm curious how have you been able to move through that cuz you talked about how you you know building confidence helps and doing all these things how have you been able to do that like i you know some people might be thinking like how were you able to go from like nothing's ever going to work out self fulfilling prophecy to now you're working on that confidence. You're able to get up in front of people. You have this community you talked about. Like, what what has helped you there? Yeah, um, for me personally, it was this survival. Like, I needed to survive. Um, I had moved here, and I was, I had had, you know, I was renting bedrooms out of like how you know this one couple who I love. I mean, they're very close friends of mine. Um, but I was renting a bedroom out of their house and, um, you know, there was a scenario where, um, they needed to bring in, um, one of my friend's fathers was, was becoming ill and he needed to move in to the house and be taken care of and have a full-time, um, you know, caretaker, which was going to be, uh, his daughter. And so, I mean, what that meant for me was that I had to get the hell out of Dodge. So, um, you know, I definitely had this like adrenaline fueled few weeks of, I need to do something to survive. I need to get a better job. I need to get a better living situation and kind of work from Maslow's hierarchy on up. And, um, I mean, it was kind of just a do or die scenario. Either I was going to come out of this or I was going to die in the street. <laughs> that was kind of the, I mean, it was a dramatic way of thinking, <laughs> but you know, it kind of, that's the anxiety speaking. That's anxiety speaking. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. I, I almost used my anxiety as a way to get out of this kind of depression. So, you know, one diagnosis fed the other, I guess, <laughs> in that scenario. But I definitely uh, bolstered myself up somehow just through fear of, 
not succeeding and, and kind of dying alone in the, in the street and, or moving back home. Oh, that street. Yeah. <laughs> By Eckhart Tolle, which was um, fantastic in terms of understanding mindfulness, being mindful of, of the moment, being in the moment. Um, you know, anxiety is simply, you know, your projected thought into the future. You know, you're thinking about, oh, no, what's going to happen? What is going to happen in the future? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if? What if? And, um, you know, thinking about your past, oh, well, that's, you're just dwelling. So dwelling, you know, can lead to depression. So um, being in that moment in the middle, um, you know, that's where you, that's where you want to be, sandwiched between that um, realm of either depression or anxiety. So just kind of really taking in full moments. Um, anything nice that was happening to me in that time, I, I sat in it and I, I really felt it. I really took it in. And um, I wrote. I wrote music. I wrote um, short stories. I wrote about what I was feeling. Um, and revisiting it later, you know, to kind of see some progression of, of how I was feeling, my, some progression of state of mind, you know, just kind of looking back into last week and, and seeing, oh, I was using this language last week, but this week, I think I've learned that, you know, I can, I can do better than that. I can think better than that. I can, I can think about that scenario in a different, more positive light. And seeing that inch, you know, one inch at a time, getting a little bit better at um, having a positive state of mind or a positive self-image, um, you know, just seeing that progress was really great. Yeah. Well, Candace, I'd love to say thank you so much for sharing all you have with us. What would you like to leave the Inspired Women audience with as we wrap up our interview today? Yeah. Um, so I think the moral of my story and, and a lot of people is that um, everyone's a little messy, you know? Um, I used to think I'm a mess. I'm a mess. I'm a mess. That was my mantra. And um, what we all can realize, I think is that everyone's a little messy and whatever that interprets, you know, in your mind, whether you've got a messy kitchen right now, or you've got a little bit of a messy relationship, or, you know, it's a little, a little bit messy the way that, um, you know, the way that you're moving through life. It, it, everyone's a little bit messy. So to give yourself that kind of compassion and understanding and to say, hey, we're all doing as best as we can in this mess, um, you know, it, that's kind of where I want to leave off is, is we're all doing the best in the mess that we can. I love it. Well, Candace, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you. This was so much fun. I really appreciate it. I'm glad I was able to evade the storm. <laughs> Thank you for being a part of the Inspired Women audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating review. And don't forget to share this out with somebody who could use some inspiration today. Tag us at Inspired Women Podcast, both on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great day.